You are listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series podcast, episode 16. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Serene Sharif about finding the joy in surgery again by abandoning the path. A quick announcement, there'll be a webinar March 21st at 6 p.m. Central called It's Complicated. We're going to talk about some strategies for dealing with surgery complications. Find more information at bosssurgery.com. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we need to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Bertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a special friend on the podcast today. This is Dr. Serene Sharif. She is a trauma acute care surgeon. We actually were in the same small group at the Life Coach School getting our certification. And so she also is a surgeon coach, and I'm so thrilled to have her on here today. So Dr. Sharif, how would you introduce yourself? Tell us more about yourself. Absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a trauma acute care surgeon. I have uh, three children, one in elementary, one in middle and one in high school. And, you know, I, I think that I found my way into coaching really because of all of that, <laughs> just trying to figure out, you know, how do I balance um, my uh, myself uh, being a mom, being a surgeon, finding time for myself and uh, relationships and all the other hats that I wear. Now, so tell me a little bit more about like, what led you to coaching? So I, and and I think that kind of plays into a little bit about how your career changed. Like, how did you expect it to go and how did it go? (laughs) Well, I can tell you, I, I, what I'm doing right now is definitely not what I ever expected to do. In fact, I don't know that I was aware that there was something uh, like locums and, um, and even just how flexible it could be. So I was very much a rule follower, you know, I'm like, okay, there's a path that I stay on the path because I, I don't know what else to do otherwise. Right. So, um, I went, um, through med school residency. Um, I had thought when I was doing residency, um, that I would go into academics and um, do uh, do some subspecialty. So I'd done two years of bench research and you know all of the things, it was seven years of residency, right? And what I found, um, especially as I was kind of coming towards the end of it, is that um, maybe academics is not quite what I wanna do. I saw how the junior faculty was, um, you know, their, their struggles and I thought, you know, I don't know, I mean, Yes, I've put in all the hard work, but my thought was that when I got into practice that, yes, finally, I'll get to do what I want to do. I get to take care of patients the way I want to, you know, you just have to suck it up during residency. But I saw that, you know, in academics, that's not quite how it is when you're a junior faculty, you kind of have to earn your right, if you will, um, to go through some of it. And, and that was just my observation and experience. I know that others have different thoughts and that's totally fine. But um, what I saw was not really what, how I wanted to um, experience my career. So I decided, okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go do something totally different. I'm going to do, um, uh, you know, general surgery and I'm going to do community practice. So um, I left, uh, when I finished my uh, residency, I uh, started, you know, I joined a private practice group and it was so different from academics. Um, Amazing, but lots of great experiences, but you know, in academics, we don't really get the training to do all of the other stuff, the entrepreneurial stuff in private practice. And I remember thinking at that time, oh my God, I'm terrible at, you know, being an entrepreneur. I don't 
know how to do these things. This is hard. Like all of the thoughts that we now know, oh, it's just, of course, it, there's discomfort and growth. And that's what, um, that's what I'm feeling. But at that time, you know, I didn't know. I was like, this is true. It is hard to be an entrepreneur. And, um, and uh, again, I'm looking at how, you know, people who are ahead of me by 15, 20 years, how are they living? How are they practicing? And I realized, wow, you know, what I'm seeing is people work, you know, 60, 80, 100 hours, and there's still a lot of these running around and, you know, trying to figure things out. And that's not what I thought it was going to be, I'll be honest. I thought, okay, you finish your residency, and then there is like, there's a sense of you can finally settle down and like live life. And I felt like I was not there at all for the kids. Um, I had a, a, a newborn at that time. Um, I did. So that's the other part. I had one, a baby in uh, medical school. I had a baby in residency and I had a baby in practice. So totally different experiences. Um, and, and not all of them were planned, but, you know, um, so so what I realized going through that was, well, you know, maybe this is not the right fit for me. So academics is not right for me. Community practice isn't right for me. Um, maybe I'll try something different and I'll go to like an employed position because that's going to be the perfect fit for me. So I tried. Um, so then I did that. And um, and it was a really good fit for me. Um, there were a lot of other nuances um, that made it unfortunately not um, not work out. Um, and in the beginning, I was you know, my thought was, oh, my God, I'm struggling. Um, this is the right job, then why am I struggling? So there was a lot of internal, like, you know, uh, criticism and self-judgment. And um, uh, I still found it difficult to find time to be home. Um, we took call for our patients during the week. And then uh, I did elective practice, trauma and acute care surgery. So it was just really busy. And um, I was the only uh, female surgeon in the entire department of uh, surgery, including non, you know, and not just general surgery, but like urology and, you know, ENT and everything else. And I think it was just my needs. It was very different for the department to understand. Um, uh, so uh, initially I asked them, oh, maybe I could cut back. So I did feel empowered enough to say I need to make some changes. And I tried all the things I asked for, you know, maybe I can cut back. I was fine getting a lower salary, like I was agreeable to everything, but what I found is when I cut back my hours, what that meant was it cut back all of my um, trauma acute care stuff, but I still, you know, even if it's my afternoon off or I leave early, I'm still getting called back because of things or they might need it, they might have an emergency and I would still have to come back. I remember having my nanny meet me at the ED because I had kids in the back. I wasn't expecting to be called in and, you know, so like, what do I do, right? So um, what I realized is that, you know, I've tried my math. And I just, I mean, at that time, I didn't have the understanding that I do now. But at that time, what I felt was, wow, I am just struggling. Maybe this, maybe I just can't do it. Maybe it's something wrong with me that I just don't know how to do because look around me, like everybody else is doing it. So why am I not able to do it? Um, and, um, you know, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of, you know, all of those thoughts. And then I decided I'm just not going to do surgery anymore. So, I, so literally one day post call, I went to work and I handed in my notice and I said, I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm going to resign. And everyone thought, you know, oh, you have something else. No, I'm like, no, I don't have another job lined up. I have nothing. I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I just know that where I am right now, like I hate life. 
I don't want to live like this because I don't see the point of it. And no matter, you know, whether I'm home or at work, you know, it felt like someone was disappointed that I wasn't doing all the things that they wanted me to do. And I don't want to do it anymore, you know? And um, I also had a lot of administrative responsibilities. Um, like, you know, I was doing medical student, uh, like, you know, rotation, like I was the med student coordinator and all of these, uh, you know, uh, other hats that I was wearing. And um, because I, I really didn't learn how to say no. I think that was part of my struggle that people would say, oh, can you do this? Can you help with this? And I would say yes. And so um, that was also part of my burnout. Um, so, but it was, you know, it was painful. It was a difficult decision because I had been wanting to be a surgeon since I was a kid. So it was like a lifelong dream for me. And so for me to say, you know, this reality is so, um, so miserable that I can't do it. I don't want to. Um, it took a, a lot of um, um, sort of self-love, I think, at that point. I didn't realize that to say, you know what, as much as I love this, it is really like toxic in my life right now. Um, so, so that's what I did. I stopped. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Then I kind of, you know, tinkered a little bit. Like I started teaching at the medical school and um, I taught med, like first and second year math students. And then um, there were some locums opportunities that opened up and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll try that. And so um, I think that's how I found my way is I stopped having expectations. I stopped looking for the path that I was sure this is the way I was supposed to follow. Cause I had already done, I, you know, I'd seen academics, I'd seen community, private practice, employed. Like I felt like I had seen all of the things and I finally understood there's no better, like there's no grass greener on the other side, right? Like wherever I go, there I am. And um, the, the struggles are going to be there. So, um, so I knew I didn't want to go back to surgery full-time practice, but um, being really honestly with the medical students, like being with them and teaching them, I just felt like I caught the love for medicine again. And I, you know, I just realized, wow, of course, I don't want to give up practicing medicine because I love it. It's amazing. What a, what a privilege and joy it is to practice. Really what I didn't want is I don't want to work 60, 80, hundred hours and still feel like I'm not, you know, performing or I'm not, fulfilling like all the administrative, like the charts and this and that and all the things. Um, what I want is to be able to do what I initially started out in medicine to do, which is I wanna feel like I'm connected to my patients. I wanna help them. And I wanna be able to have time away from the hospital to rest and recover, which I wasn't getting in any of the settings that I was in. Um, so yeah, so that's how I kind of found my way through. <laughs> Oh, you had so many like really important points there too. And I think we can kind of like pick up on several of them. You know, I think that what I really, really love that you said is that I stopped looking for the path because, you know, that seems like where a lot of the problem that you had earlier in your career was, is that like, I'm following this path. Nope, not, th not this path. Like, look, look, there's this path. Let's go this. Nope, not this one. Um, and it's so interesting because I think a lot of times people make these changing of jobs mean something ab about us. And, you know, did you have that as part of your journey of like, what's wrong with me? Why do I have to keep picking all these paths? And, you know, why can't I pick a place to go? Like, where was the change for you when you said, okay, there may not be a path that's right for me. So I'm just gonna stop looking for it. Where, where was that point? Um, well, you know, the thing is, um, and I've heard this from others that I've coached and helped too, is we think that um, this is the only way that something can be. In fact, when I was in full-time practice, someone actually told me that, well, if you want to practice surgery, this is the only way. 
if you don't, if you don't want to do this, that's fine. You know, we'll find someone else. But if you want to do surgery, this is the only way. And the reality is, honestly, that's not true. Mm-hmm. There are a million ways for us to um, for us to live, right? And for us to practice. What I realized is I thought I had experienced everything, but no, I, I keep meeting others who are like, oh, this is the way I do. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about it that way. That's amazing, right? So I think just realizing for me, the realization was that it's okay that my life or my work doesn't look exactly like someone else's because I'm a different person. And me constantly trying to compare or trying to create something that someone else is experiencing or living is really doing a disservice to me because I'm not that person, you know, and honoring like, what is it that I want and what am I willing to be flexible on to get it? Because even now, right, there are things that are difficult and then then there are things that are amazing. And I have determined, okay, I am okay with the things that are difficult because it's worth it for me to experience the amazing part, right? And before I think it was, I thought that everything will just somehow magically settle down and I'll just like, I'll be in a place where there's no ups and downs. But, <laughs> Good luck right? with that. Right, so that I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm finally gonna settle down and I'll feel like things are, things are just, you know, they're flowing. and. And part of the realization is also like, yeah, maybe that's never going to happen because there's always going to be ups and downs in life. But how can I experience joy when I'm in its presence and not feel like, oh, but look, this is difficult and that's difficult. And being, you know, being more connected to the thoughts of my challenge or my struggles and not appreciating because the reality is through all of those other practices, I actually had lots of amazing things. But I just, I wasn't able to connect to it because I really just struggle so much with, oh, this is difficult. I'm not doing a good job. I'm living in that space of misery because that's the thing that I felt, you know, familiar, you know, that, that this is what things were. So, yeah, I think I would say that's the pivot point for me is just realizing it's okay. Now, what do I get to do? Yeah, I love that where you said the um, experience joy in its presence, because, you know, of course, joy is there all the time. The joy of the, and even like the satisfaction of like the the patients and, you know, the students, of course, and the little things we do. You know, I talk a lot of times about doing these positivity rounds. It's like we're when we're on rounds with patients, are we listening to what they're saying? And of course, they say remarkable things like you're a miracle to me. You saved my life. And, you know, if we don't necessarily feel that we don't even hear what they say. And so I think that there's a lot to be said for experiencing joy in its presence. Really, you could see why we do that, because we're either living in the past, wishing we had done something different. We are living in the future, you know, wondering what we should do next. Or in the presence, we're like internally looking at ourselves and finding the flaws. And if we are not outwardly looking at that particular moment in time that we are going to miss that joy that's right in front of us. Um, and I had the same experience as well, too, where, um, you know, an easy thing to do is students or shadowing, you know, the people that are just remind us how exciting and uh, amazing the practice of, you know, medicine and surgery is. And we just forget it because we're too busy uh, often comparing or worrying if, if we're doing it right, that if we stop for a moment and, you know, even acknowledge the fact that we are doing it right and people are telling us that we just don't listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think of it like we are busy in our tasks, right? That we're not in our feelings. 
Mm-hmm. So we are, you know, I, I got to finish rounds. I got to write the notes, I, you know, and then I have a surgery coming up, but I got a trauma to attend it, right? We think about all the things we have to do and we realize how amazing it is that we get to do it and, um, and finding joy in that, you know, like fulfilling our purpose or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be for each of us. But I, I had really forgotten that, like how yeah. to experience that. Yes. And I think that, um, another thing that you pointed out that I thought was really helpful is, is asking yourself, what do I want? Because when you ask that question, it was readily apparent to you why what you're doing wasn't working, right? Like, what do I want? Well, I want to enjoy my life. I want to have a life outside of this too. And I, you know, I want to feel like I'm accomplished in what I'm doing, um, which of course, you know, our sense of accomplishment, as you know, is, is what we decide that it is, you know, our, our definition of success is something that we define not what other people define. And if you wait for someone to define it for you, you're always at the mercy of someone else's opinion of what success is. And so mm-hmm. I think that that makes a lot of sense that that was the pivot for you is, is you deciding what you want. And then of course, that always comes with what am I willing to give up to get that? Um, and those, I think those two questions have probably set a lot of people free. Um, mm-hmm. And because, I mean, how often do we actually question, what do we want? We think, what does the job want from me? What is mm-hmm. the job saying I should do? What is the patient saying right. you should do? You know, but when we start really like uh, looking inside and saying, what do I want? I think that's where a big shift can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I thought, again, I had that preconceived notion in my mind that, okay, I'm going to find the job, um, I'm going to do the thing, and then somehow everything's going to be like, you know, uh, the same, right? Everything's going to be settled. What I realized, and, and actually, I think my whole experience improved when I embraced, that it's okay for me not to know everything, that it doesn't have to be sort of this, like, oh, you know, completely settled, no changes kind of situation. And in fact, there's actually some interest, you know, and excitement in some of those changing things. So for instance, I went through the whole gamut of, you know, travel with locums and trying different different locations, different types of jobs to see, okay, what is it that I really want to do? And, um, and that's how I realized, okay, this is what I like, you know, this kind of patient population. And so how can I, how can I explore that more putting myself out there and saying, uh, okay, this is what I want to look for. And even when I found a position that I felt was a good fit for me saying that they offered a particular contract. And I said, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Like, do you think we might be able to match? Like, how would that work? And, um, and it was fine. You know, so we think that um, what we want, oh, we might have to make a lot of adjustments, but the reality is when we ask and we're willing to negotiate, but be flexible as well, right? We're trying to see how can we put together something that works for everyone, um, which may not look exactly like what I wanted or what they wanted, but maybe we can come with this, um, come up with this in in betweener. Um, And then you find something that ultimately is a better fit. I've been at my current place for about eight months and And I feel like, you know, uh, even with all of the ups and downs, it feels the the balance I have between my work and my life is just so, um, you know, it is, there is that flow. And so I'm really grateful that even though there were all these trials, you finally find something. And I know that I'm okay knowing that, yeah, maybe this is not the, you know, this is not the end of it, that there might be more changes, et cetera. And I know no matter what, I have my own back, you know, no matter what happens, 
I'm going to find my joy in whether it's here or there, you know, I'm not worried about the changes anymore or, or what could come up in a year or two years. Cause you think, oh, but I gotta be prepared. And I gotta know like, what if this doesn't work out? No, this is working out perfect now. And who knows, maybe it'll work out perfect forever. And if not, it's fine. I know how to figure it out. You know, you mentioned uh, having your own back and I know uh, some people don't necessarily understand what that means. So what does having your own back mean to you? What it means is that I, I recognize um, I am a people pleaser. Like that is something that I, I used to think of it as a negative thing about me, but now I am sure it's actually, I want to make people happy. So I recognize about that about myself, but one challenge of that trait is you end up saying yes to whatever people ask. And, um, and then, um, and then I get resentful. They're, they're asking too much of me. And then I get frustrated and instead of standing up for myself, right. I say, ah, you know, maybe this is not the right fit for me. And some of the changes that I've needed is really because of me, because I haven't stood up for myself. But now that's not what I do. And in fact, in this particular job, that has come up a few times. And, um, and what's, what's been good is I've been able to tell them just honestly, like saying, hey, you know, um, this is not something that I'm able to help with. You know, I love working here. I love you guys. How can I help you when I'm here? but not be, you know, maybe I, I don't do these other things. And they were fine with me being open about it. And I felt like, okay, good job, not, not taking work home or saying I'm going to do things when I really don't want to. So for me, having my own back is being, uh, having love and compassion for myself and the other person, but being honest about what I truly want to do so that I don't create a situation because the other person doesn't know that I don't want to do it, right? I say, yes, they think, oh, she wants to do it. So um, just being honest and upfront saying, this is what I would like to do. And these other set of tasks, really, I, I, I don't want to do that, or that doesn't fit with what I see my job here as. And just standing up for my boundaries, I guess. But in a way that I feel, you know, there, there's really, it's, it's not about being upset or, you know, like saying uh, or not helping, but being clear, this is what I can do. And this is what I, what I'm not going to do. And how does this fit for you? And that's it. Yeah. I love that too, because, you know, a lot of times people will recognize you. The first part, step is like recognizing what you do. When you recognize that I'm a people pleaser, and then you think of all the times that you people please and how it made you feel bad that, you know, the, the, sometimes the tendency is like, I'm never going to do that again. That's, I'm never going to make anybody happy ever again. <laughs> And really, of course, it's, it's not that at all. I mean, usually what we consider a flaw is usually just a, an extension of an advantage that we have, you know, like the exactly. ability to want to help other people is, you know, people pleasing and who wouldn't want that. It's when it becomes, um, when it comes at a cost to you is when it's a problem. And so it sounds like you recognized where that line in the sand was. And I think that's the, the most important thing. I think when having your own back is recognizing who you are and seeing that when this turns from an advantage to a disadvantage, and I just have to define what that looks like. And I could do that how I feel and I could do that how they feel. Um, and I can find a way for it to work to where um, it's still an advantage um, and it doesn't hurt you at all. And it's so funny because I, I 
see this all the time too, and myself as well. Like we think, oh my gosh, I can't turn anyone down. I can't tell them no, I can't be honest. And we usually do this out of fear of what they may say. And it's sometimes a big surprise when we say, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we think that it's going to be a problem, but I have found just being, you know, not being like upset or, you know, saying, well, you always ask me to do stuff and I'm tired of it, you know, like not being upset, but coming from a place of really the, the feeling that I try to connect to the most when I have those types of conversation is love and compassion for myself and for the others. Because when I come from that space, of course, it makes sense that they would ask because they have needs, but I also have needs. And how do I meet, you know, both of them and in, in, a, in a way that I feel is fair, especially to me. Um, so I think that that's, um, that's important. And, um, and I love that you said, you know, what you said about having your back is also understanding your strengths because um, not related to my work per se, but I have noticed understanding myself and knowing myself more has helped me in so many other ways as well. Um, so one of my biggest strengths is to be a learner. And I understood that what I want is to just keep learning. And I would learn and learn and learn and taking action is not familiar to me. And so it was really hard in the beginning, uh, especially with the coaching um, and, you know, with some of my other hats that I wear to start taking action because I felt like I needed to learn more. But when I understood myself that this is just my natural habitat, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be able to take action and, you know, setting some boundaries even for myself, it actually helped to get me out of that comfort zone and say, okay, I'll take one action and then, uh, you know, see how that feels. So I think it can be applied in so many different ways, but ultimately the biggest struggle I had was really, I didn't know myself. I didn't listen to what I was saying. And the more I do that, the more I give myself uh, grace in these periods of, you know, transitions and challenges, um, the more I feel I can do the things that previously I thought, oh, that's not possible or, you know, whatnot. And I know that when you do something that's a little bit outside of what you think, it's like, I'm going to do this because I know I'm going to be okay because I know who I am and I know why I'm doing this. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong with me. It just means that this particular thing didn't work, that maybe I need to stop looking for the path. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, maybe I should try something different. And, you know, action creates clarity. And the only way we know what works or what doesn't is by taking action. I mean, I would never have known that, you know, this current job would work if I hadn't tried all of the other stuff, right? So the only way we can, we can find what fits us best is by, you know, continuing to try different things. You know this as well as I do, is that the reason that we don't try stuff is the fear of failure. And, you know, I think that's what holds us a lot back, you know, changing jobs and things like that, because really the underlying thought behind this is, is that I failed at something. And, you know, I think it's important to consider that failure is just not achieving a stated outcome. And a lot of times if you state the wrong outcome and you don't get it, that's not necessarily a failure. How do you advise someone who feels like they're a failure? It's not just failure, but public failure right? Mm -hmm. Being open with what we're struggling with um, can be really hard, especially for, you know, for us, because we've had to jump through many hoops to get where we are. And so for us, you know, like each success builds that foundation of, okay, you know, yes, I'm someone who's successful. That's my identity. And so when you fail at something, when I failed at things, I felt like, wow, that doesn't fit with my identity. So there's something wrong and it's shameful. So I need to not talk about it. 
So a lot of um, failure for me, um, you know, before was really in isolation. And so shame grows in the dark. And so, um, so then that shame, blame and guilt really like blossomed there for me. So I, I think now I, I try to be open about my failures because I'm like, okay, I'm just going to talk about it. So, you know, get over that, um, uh, that uh, fear that something has gone wrong because the reality is actually nothing has gone wrong. If I hadn't failed at all of those things, then I would never be where I am today. And, and really, even though when I, you know, the, the decisions that I made at that time were taken with pain, I mean, it was very painful and hard to think, oh, I, you know, I have to give up surgery or I have to do this or I have to do that. But I'm so grateful for where I am right now that I feel like, you know, like I'm so grateful for everything that happened, even though at that time it felt like the worst possible thing. Um, Ultimately, how I think of uh, success and failure is success, a lot of us look at success as to what someone else is doing. And we are, you know, we are looking at what is ahead of us, what others are doing and thinking, oh, that looks amazing. Like that looks like success, you know? So I'm going to do those things and, you know, see what that, what comes out. That was, that was a path that I was on for some time that thinking, okay, this is what I want to create. So let me see who else is doing that. And how can I replicate that? And of course, my life is different than someone else's. So even though I am successful in other ways, you know, it didn't look the same as what someone else is doing. And that was a huge lesson for me. It really helped me understand okay, why is this not working? Why doesn't it look exactly like person X? And I had to think, wow, well, I'm not person X. And instead of looking at how is my own, you know, results different than someone else's, I started looking at, okay, where did I start? Where am I now? What have I done? And so what have I gained in this process? Like you said, you reframe what you're actually doing. So for me, that was a huge, um, huge growth in understanding, wow, look at all the things that I have done. That's amazing. Um, you know, where are the places that I want to grow? So um, I guess coming back to the path, really, I had to get off the path again and just say, okay, if I am, you know, wandering in this forest uh, that I, you know, I'm creating and, and what does it look like for me? What are the things that I want to experience? How do I want to grow? Sometimes I was doing things because I felt like I should. In reality, really, it's just, there's no shoulds in, right? I don't have to do any of this. I get to do what I want to do. So coming back again and recreating clarity. And for me, taking action is what helps me understand what the next step is. So when I take action, one of my mentors said this, every action you take, you'll either get the result that you want or the lesson that you needed. So I don't really think of it as, um, oh, I failed at it. You know, I might have moments of disappointment. Oh, it didn't work out exactly how I thought it was going to. But then understanding, okay, what is the lesson that I learned here? What clarity have I created for myself? And what is my next step? And um, that we get to create this path for ourselves. Yeah, I love that you said that, you know, you um, have a lesson, you get some clarity, and then you figure out your next step. And that goes back to, you know, what we know is that the, the way to get out of overwhelm is to start taking some action. And the way to see clarity is to take some action. And it's, you know, having your back means you go, I'm going to take this action and it's okay. Because I think that, you know, my idea of steps for failure is that there's a stated outcome. We don't achieve the outcome. So we make it mean something about us. And then everyone's going to know. 
those are the three, um, I think, pitfalls of this idea of failure. And once you really decide that outcome is, you know, what you decide it's going to be, you know, and if you're going by someone else's outcome, of course, you're setting yourself up potentially for failure. The second is like, it's going to mean something about me. Like, well, maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe it just means that I need to do something different, not necessarily anything bad. So determining what it means about us. And then the third thing is like, everyone will know, well, then you start to decide that, well, one, they probably don't care. And two, uh, I mean, are they even noticing? And three, does it even matter what they think? You know, once you're able to be independent about other people's opinions, except for understanding how it leads to your lesson and your clarity and your next steps, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you need to take from that, not necessarily another weapon in your bag, you know, to hurt yourself with. Recognizing how to get out of this perception of failure is how you achieve exactly where you're at, which is, you know, then embracing like the gratitude of like everything that I've done so far has led me to this moment. And when I'm happy in this moment, all those other things make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is really fantastic. Um, now I know that you're a coach now who is like your ideal client and how can they find you? So I coach um, physicians and non-physicians. I uh, coach uh, high-performing women who are struggling with overwhelm and burnout and, uh, you know, all of the things, right? Feeling uh, like they're struggling with um, finding clarity in their lives. You know, what do they want to do? How do they achieve that from a place of self-love and self-compassion? And um, primarily what I help people do is learn how do they manage their time, mind, energy, focus, all of our internal resources. And, um, and I do that through habit building, you know, time management, uh, understanding time really, and how we use it, productivity, mindfulness, etc. And where can they find you? They can find me on my website, serenitywellnessmd.com, as well as my podcast, Mindfulness and Productivity Systems uh, podcast. That sounds Great. Now, our last thing, someone is in the midst of misery and burnout and all too, what would you suggest to them now? That you are enough exactly as you are right now and nothing has to change. And how can you give yourself some love in that moment as a human experiencing the overwhelm, as a human experiencing the suffering? How can you just be present with that human and remind yourself you're enough? It's okay. It's, you know, you're going to figure this out, but in this moment, you don't have to figure anything out. What a beautiful sentiment. All right. Well, Dr. Shreve, it was so nice to see you again. And thank you for all of your wisdom. And I encourage everyone to check out your website and your podcast and hear more about all this. There's so many people that need you right now. Thank you so much for having me. Find more information at bosssurgery.com as well as the Boss Business of Surgery Series Facebook group to find more information about Boss and the free webinar on March 21st at 6 p.m. Central. It's complicated. It's time for us to start talking about surgery complications and how we're going to manage them so we can sustain our surgery career.